0: I uh, want to jump right into my message because it's, it's another fun one, a, a, maybe a difficult one. You'll probably squirm a little bit, and that makes me happy. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, We've been going through some difficult topics in this series called Asking for a Friend, uh, and I, my vantage point is one that you can't fully appreciate until you've done it. Uh, on some of these difficult topics, you guys have that deer-in-headlights look on your faces. No one moves, no one breathes, no one blinks. It, it, you just, you all sit there going like this, like how am I supposed to respond to what's being said right now? I don't know what to say. I'm processing, I'm processing. Uh, so we've had a few of them that were really difficult, but I just wanted to say thank you as we're wrapping this series up to those of you who asked questions. Uh, my apologies that we could not get to all of them. Uh, last year we had, uh, I think it was like 19 questions that were submitted by the, by the church. This year there were over 40 uh, that were submitted. A lot of them have overlapping ideas, uh, but just really wanted to say truly thank you for doing that um, because it really does help me to get my the pulse of what are the questions that we're we're really thinking about as a church? What are the things that we're really wrestling with? Um, so today is another one. Again, I said it's going to make you squirm, so just deal with it, okay? Uh, it is something in scripture. It's something that's maybe you're going to have a differing opinion on depending on where you've come from. Uh, but the question that I got was this, Can you help me to understand speaking in tongues? Help me to understand that. Because here's the thing. I've heard about it, right? Or you've read about it in the Bible. Uh, How many of you have ever been in maybe a church service where somebody spoke in tongues? How many of you have ever experienced that? Yeah, a number of you. How many of you have never experienced that? Anybody? Yeah, okay. That's great. That's great. I bet that probably right now you're starting to be like, where did we park? (laughs) Um, don't panic. Okay. I just want to, I just want to encourage you, uh, have an open mind. Okay. Because there are differing opinions on what that means. And it's especially difficult in our current culture because even for those who believe very specifically, um, you know, the Pentecostal charismatic churches of which we are one, uh, we're not seeing them exercised in a way that is honestly, truly very healthy. And so it's not terribly uncommon to think that maybe you've even been a part of this church for a few years and you're just like, well, I've never heard that in a service before. What's that like? I don't know how I feel about that. It makes me want to run from my car. Uh, take, it, take it in and let's, just, let's look through it biblically and what does the Bible say about it? But I wanted to start uh, by taking a look in Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look at where this all came from and and what does the Bible say about it? What is the, what are some of the different theological views on it so that we can really process this idea together? So Acts chapter two, verses one through eight, and then we're going to read 12 and 13 says that on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Down to verse 12 and 13. Uh, They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Right? And of course, then Paul has to address the crowd. He's like, guys, it's nine in the morning. We're not drunk. Okay, they're just drunk. That's all. What's going on right now? This is a little weird. What's going on? And and so I just want to jump right into this because uh, here's the reality. At the very beginning, currently and into the future, there are two camps that are going to be on either side of this idea. There are witnesses and there are skeptics. All right. That's just a reality. Even on the day of Pentecost, which whether you believe that the gift of tongues or the gifts of the Spirit, because I don't want to sp- focus solely on that gift of tongues, uh, and if you have, would like to do more study on this, more reading, I really encourage you, 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 has a ton of information about what God's speaking on the gifts of the Spirit, about speaking in tongues, all of those things. But, but right here in this moment, okay, even if you don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are used today or any of those things, we'll talk about that more in just a second, at the day of Pentecost, when it happened, there were two receptions. There was one group that heard them speaking in their own language. Now, just for a second here, early on in the charismatic movement, a, a big revival that took place in Los Angeles, California, 1906 to 1908, okay? The gifts of the Spirit come back and and they start to think to themselves, we've been given this language, maybe that's so that we can go to other nations and speak to them. They tried that, it didn't work, okay? So here's the reality, it's been debated then, like what is this? Is this a miracle of speaking or is this a miracle of hearing? Well, here's where I come from. Imagine if all of us in this room started to speak in nine different languages, which is what they describe here in Acts chapter 2. What would that sound like? would there be a single discernible word in this room if we're all speaking in nine different languages at the same time? No, absolutely not. So it points to this reality that is a miracle of hearing that they're receiving this. But even then there's a camp that says we're hearing our own language. And there's another camp that goes, they're all drunk. Listen to them. What's the matter with them? They're all saying gibberish. It doesn't make any sense. Right in the exact moment when the day of Pentecost happens, those are the two receptions and the way it is received. And listen, here's the reality. The same two camps exist today. I, I, I don't doubt, and depending on your uh, religious background or upbringing, there are denominations that do believe that the idea of speaking in tongues is not biblical, um, that it ceased, which again we'll talk about more in just a second, uh, even some that will say it's demonic. So I want us to look at it biblically. What's the Bible say about it? And I want to encourage you, have an open mind. And, and don't run to your car just yet, okay? Have an open mind. Let, let's just explore what the Bible says about it and then kind of go from there. But taking a look at a, at a skeptic's viewpoint here, okay? A couple of thoughts. Number one um, is the term a cessationist, Okay cessationism is this idea that the gifts of the spirit existed their purpose was for the apostolic move of the church in the early days and that it, it, the purpose of it was to get the church going um, it was a sign to those who didn't know god and there were miracles that took place so that the church could get started but the belief is that when the apostles ministry ended so did the need for the gifts of the spirit they, we, they're, they're done now they died off with the apostles a lot of this hinges on 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Um, again, I, I bring this up all the time, but 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, you hear it at every wedding, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, right? Right after that in verse 8 is when we see this one scripture that says tongues and prophecy will cease, but love will go on forever, okay? Now here's something, again, I can't go into this too deeply. We need to know that when we look at scripture, there are two ways to interpret it. One is prescriptively and the other is descriptively, okay? Prescriptively is this. What I'm reading is what God is saying is going to happen and is determined by him. And then there's reading descriptively. Let's take, for instance, when he says to Timothy, in the last days, people will turn away from God. That's not God saying, I'm causing that to happen, but it's going to happen. It's descriptive, when we're talking about prescriptive is when he says to Joel, in the last days, the young men will dream dreams and the old men will prophesy. That's prescriptive. God is speaking those in two different ways. So we need to look at that in, in the way that we're interpreting 1 Corinthians 13, verse eight. Is it God saying that it's absolutely that we're, I'm doing away with all the gifts of the spirit, but love is what's gonna carry us forward? Or is he saying, No, even through history, there will come a time when the other gifts of the Spirit diminish and dwindle, but love is going to remain a cornerstone of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now, we go into 1 Corinthians 14, and Paul even says to the the church there, he says, listen, I encourage you to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. You should be pursuing them, and he says, especially the ability to prophesy. Prophesy. He tells them, uh, you know, I'm glad that I can speak in tongues probably more than any of you, but I'll tell you this, when I'm in a group of people, I would rather speak five discernible words to the the crowd than a thousand words in a tongue that nobody would understand. Now, he's not saying that tongues are a bad thing. He's just saying, let's not get too hung up on tongues. Now, I I say that in, in these terms. Uh, I love this because here's the reality, and I think the assemblies of God, you know, got maybe a little heavy on this for a few years, is that the ability to speak in tongues is a sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I loved. I was at a conference a couple years ago, and the uh, the superintendent, he's like a, I guess you'd call like a bishop or something, if, depending on what, what you grew up in, of the assemblies of God for Pennsylvania. He was speaking on this very idea, and he said, "Imagine if we get too hung up on the sign." All right, He said, imagine taking your kids to Disney World. Has anybody ever taken your kid to Disney World? Wow, Lord bless you. That was something. He says, well, imagine you're in the car, you're driving to Disney World, and you're coming and you're going down that long boulevard where you see the big sign that says, Welcome to Disney. You stop the car and you get out and you you say, Guys, there it is. There's the sign. Welcome to Disney. Stand in front of it. Let's get pictures, everybody. Let's get a picture. All right, kids, back in the car. We're going home. You want to talk about a revolt. <laughs> Your kids be hitchhiking. They're like, I'm out, I'm out, mom and dad have lost it. This is kind of the way that we approach this sign, and I love the way that he phrased that. You know, we can get too hung up on the sign that it's like the sign, the sign, the sign, the sign, the sign. Listen, the sign is only a physical attribute of what's truly happening in the background. That's the God's Holy Spirit moving and working, and, I, and we'll talk more about that. Um Two things here, and these are, are studies that were done. You can find this first one if you just go on to YouTube. And uh, there was a pastor, his name was Jerry Stoltzfus, uh, an Assembly of God pastor 15 years ago, that the University of Pennsylvania did a neurological study on him. They hooked all these scanners up to his brain and they put him in there and they said, We want you to pray. So he starts praying. They look on the screen and they can see there's a portion of your brain called the left caudate and that's where language comes from. So while he's praying, that whole thing, blink, 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 blink. Then they say, okay, I want you to transition. I want you to begin to pray in tongues. That part of his brain went blink, blink. And he was still praying, still speaking, but the guy running the study said, There's nowhere in his brain that I can see where that's coming from because your brain, believe it or not, explodes every time you're doing something, right? There's explosions taking place. And it says, we cannot see measurably on the screen where this is coming from when he's speaking. Now, of course, he's in the skeptic camp, right? He backs up, I'm a doctor. I'm not saying that means that the gift of tongues is a thing. All I'm telling you is I can't see it on the screen and I don't know where it's coming from. And I I, I guess that kind of lines up with people saying that when we pray in tongues, that's not coming from the, the mind, that's coming from the spirit. You can find that if you look on YouTube. You'll see it. It's a really interesting study. The other is a study by Carl Peterson from Oral Roberts University. He did a study where he found out that people who uh, regularly pray in tongues have increased hormones that are released into their bodies that push their immune health forward the measurably so like he said 35 to 40 percent higher than their counterparts so he said it's, it's measurable it's right there you can see it that this is happening within their bodies just because they're praying in tongues so these are some really interesting studies that you can look at biblical walkthrough here's what first corinthians 14 tells us just in a nutshell the gifts of the spirit are imparted after salvation number two the gifts should be pursued God, hey you should be pursuing these things There is a gift for everyone, but are individually ordained for each believer. There are actually nine different gifts, and not anybody has all nine, but each one has the ability to maybe do one or the other. Um, There is a difference between tongues as a private or public expression, Private tongues is for prayer, and public tongues, it says, must be interpreted by an interpreter in order for it to be orderly. It goes as far as to say that if someone prays in tongues in front of the whole church, and no one can interpret it, you should tell that guy to sit down and be quiet. That's not orderly. And that's what it says in Scripture. And then it also says that speaking in tongues is a sign to believers. All right, so if you're squirming in your seat, let's just keep going, okay? let just take it in with me. I understand. Maybe it's something you're like, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not sure what this looks like or what's going on. I've never seen this, never experienced it. We need to understand the importance of it, okay? So flip over to Romans chapter 8, and then we can kind of look at this. Okay, why why is this happening? Why did God give this as an ability? Romans 8, verses 26 through 28 says, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And you've probably heard this verse many times. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We hear that verse and we're like, yeah, God causes all things to work together. That's amazing. I love that idea. What he's speaking about is the spiritual gift and the the Holy Spirit's ability to pray through us for things that we don't understand. How many of you have ever prayed for something that you was like, yeah, God probably didn't want that? You ever ever been there? I've done that. Then you sing that Garth Brooks song, right? Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. (laughs) Right? Right? There are things that we pray for that it seemed like the right thing to pray for, but later it's like, that probably wasn't God's will, right? I need to be, I just need to back up a little bit. What is God's will? And so in the book of Romans, he's expressing this. He's like, when when we're releasing to God and we're praying in the spirit, we're allowing the spirit of God through us to speak. And it's going to be in connection with the heart of God because it's God's heart speaking through us in our prayers. And so in this idea, it's this, that the spirit prays for me when I don't know what to pray for myself. This is not the ability that God has given. And again, we're just looking biblically. What's the Bible say this is for? Well, why is it there? Why does it exist? It makes me uncomfortable. Well, why does it exist, okay? This is why he says it's there. I gave it as a sign to believers. I gave it so that you'd have the ability to pray outside of your own thinking and your own will. I don't know about you, but I don't see everything in the world and know what's right or wrong all the time, Okay but I trust that God does. And so he says being able to speak and to pray in tongues is that way of doing that. Now, let's take it in for a second and back up here. Let's get back to this reality that we're not seeing it happen in the church like it's described in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, sorry. We're not seeing that happen. Why? Why is that the case? Because I will tell you, um, I have grown up in the assemblies of God my whole life, When I was a teenager, 15, 16 years old, um, the church went through a major revival. And and I'll tell you, that was a time when I didn't like to invite friends to church because somebody was going to speak in tongues every Sunday. And I'm like, I'm not inviting one of my friends to come to church and then having to explain to them why sister so-and-so is running up and down the aisles praying in tongues, You've probably seen movies, right, or TV shows or memes or gifs or whatever that were describing the holy rollers that swing from the chandeliers and roll down the aisles that talk in gibberish. I've had people contact me asking about the church and ask me, your church believes in speaking in tongues, right? And I said, yes, it does. He goes, do you preach your sermons in tongues? I was like, no, that'd be really weird. I don't think anybody would understand that at all. Biblically, Paul says that's not a good thing. Um, but there's a lot of question behind it, and we don't understand it, and, and because of that, it makes us really uncomfortable. And, and what does it look like for us because it's not happening? Why isn't it happening? And, and, and I don't want to focus solely on tongues because here's the thing, it's nine gifts of the Spirit. It's, it's words of knowledge, words of wisdom, words of counsel, the ability to know something that it shouldn't be known by you, but God told you about. Listen, I'm, I can tell you firsthand, I've had people speak to me that God told them something for me that there's no way they could have known other than for God himself to tell them. I'm telling you, I've had it happen to me. It, it is, and, and that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. Why aren't we seeing that happening? All right? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Can you say each? Is that some? Is it a few? No, it says each. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Why? Why? So we can help each other. So then he goes on to describe this, and you probably come across this in Scripture if you've read through Corinthians. He talks about a body, right? He says, now imagine this. Imagine if a hand were to say to the foot, I don't need you. I don't know about you, but I can't walk on my hands. And if my foot gets itchy, I'm pretty grateful for this hand. Right? Or he says, imagine if an ear says to an eye, I don't need you. He goes, what would that look like? He goes, no, here's the reality. In order to be a healthy, functioning body, we need all of the body parts. And this is the metaphor that he's using describing spiritual gifts. Now here's the problem. Here's the rub for us. Spiritual gifts over time have been abused. Absolutely abused. You get people who go on YouTube who address themselves as prophet so-and-so, who tell you like and subscribe, and and if you give me your email, I will send you an email weekly of your weekly prophecy, right? You just have to pay me $19.99 a month. It has been abused. There have been people who have misused these gifts, but here's the reality. The word gift is the really important aspect of this because God gave them to us as a gift. God gave them to us as a gift, and we don't see anywhere in Scripture where there's a prohibition from its continuation, or for someone to say, "Hey, this is just for the here and now." It is literally this one verse, 1 Corinthians thirteen eight, that gets mistranslated in this idea. It's like, well, it's supposed to end. It's supposed to go away. It's not supposed to happen anymore. Church, there are countless testimonies, stories that people can share of how God used someone else to speak through a spiritual gift that God used for them. And here's the unfortunate thing that we're missing is that God didn't give us these gifts for ourselves. He gave us these gifts to bless others. He gave them to us to bless others because, you know, you're thinking to yourself, you know, my life's okay without a spiritual gift. I'm good. I'm doing all right. I'll be okay if I never know a word of prophecy or have the gift of discernment or any of these. I'll be okay. I'm gonna survive that. But God says it's not for you. It's for the body of Christ. Christ. And so instead of us seeing this robust picture that he goes on to talk about in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, Can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? Can the ear say to the eye, I don't need you? Can you live, you know, just say, Well, I don't need the sense of smell. I don't need the sense of hearing? He says, No, you need every one of them. But because we've become uncomfortable with the exercise of spiritual gifts, we've lost them. And here's the downside we've become a limping body of Christ. We're not healthy the way we should be. We're limping. We're trying to make it on our own. Smith Wigglesworth, I love it, he said it best. There are churches that if the Holy Spirit departed would go six months before they ever realized it had happened. Because we're leaning on ourselves, we're leaning on our strength, we're leaning on our abilities. When God says, I've given you a gift to bless others. And listen, we don't take it as seriously as we should. You know what the Bible says? How you can tell if somebody is, because this is one of the questions I got. How do I know if I'm watching a prophet so-and-so on YouTube, whether they're good or they're bad? It's really simple. God describes it. He says, if what they speak comes true, they're an actual prophet. And if they don't kill them, I'm telling you, YouTube would shut down if we took that more seriously. That's what he says. Why? He says, because if they prophesy something that doesn't come true, they're not speaking on my behalf and they're leading my people in rebellion. That's Deuteronomy 13. That's what God says should be happening. But we don't take that very seriously. We look at it and we go, oh, well, that prophet so-and-so said this and prophet so-and-so and and prophet so-and-so. Listen, can I just say personally, the terms prophet and apostle are not titles to be yielded. They are gifts to be glorifying God with. Okay, and, and I'll tell you right now, my spirit clinches pretty hard when somebody's like, oh, hello, my name is prophet so-and-so. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm apostle so-and-so. Listen, God gave us these gifts not for us, but for each other. He gave you a gift for you, and he gave you a gift for you, and he gave you a gift for me, and he gave me a gift for you. But because we got uncomfortable with them, we become a body that's limping. And imagine the difference of what it would look like to evangelize the world around us. You could walk down into the city of Sharon, meet a perfect stranger and you could walk right up to them if you were bold enough, right? And say, hey, Jesus loves you and he died for you. And that person would be like, okay. But imagine walking up to that same person and you look him in the eye and you say, God told me that when you were a kid, your dad abandoned your family and that hurt you deeply and you've never gotten over that. Suddenly that person's got tears running down their eyes because they're like, how could you possibly know that? I know that sounds impossible. I'm sure there are some of you, you're like, that's impossible. It's not scripturally, and we better be really careful if we start looking at things in scripture and we say, well, that was for then but not for now because that same argument could be used just about anything that we speak to scripturally. God says, I gave this as a gift because it's meant to be used to reach a dying world. So let's just be honest about it. Let's take a second. Spiritual gifts make us uncomfortable. Can I be honest with you? They make me uncomfortable. I don't fully understand them, but you want to know what makes me far more uncomfortable? 17%. 17% is the statistic of people Who consider themselves to be truly devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Means we have an entire community around us that does not know Jesus. And we're happy in our lives and we've got things going on and we got work tomorrow and, not tomorrow, it's Labor Day. We got all these things that we're doing. And we think that idea that is spoken of in the book of Revelation that says on the last day the trumpet will sound and the angel of God will, like all these things that we read about and we're just like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen today. But church, there's an entire community and a great big world that doesn't know Jesus. Can I say something? We have become way too comfortable with that idea we have become way too comfortable with that idea. We know it, it's a reality, right? And we just accept it. Well, that's, I can't change anybody. I can't make anybody fall. No, you can't. But the reason we're limping through ministry and limping into our communities is because we're relying on our own strength and not leaning on the gifts of the Spirit to be utilized by God. I was praying this week about how to end this service because a lot of our services, we say a nice little prayer and on our way out the door and greet each other, run to the cafe to get maybe some coffee or something. But this week, I just feel this burden in my heart. Church, who's going to take it seriously? Who's going to take it seriously? That that if we're going off of statistics, you want to cut them short, go for it. Maybe my statistics off, let's double it. Am I, am I okay that 64% of my neighbors are going to hell? Am I okay that 64% of my community doesn't know Jesus? Am I okay with that? Am I okay to keep limping through ministry? Because the gifts of the spirit make me uncomfortable or I'm not sure what it means and I don't know how to interpret it. I don't know how to, church, this is so important. You know, I've been talking with you, we need revival, we need revival, we need revival. Church, I'm telling you, we need revival. When it doesn't startle us to think that three quarters of our neighbors and friends are not going to enter eternity and know Jesus and we're just like, man, that's a bummer. Meet me at Starbucks later. Let's go get some, let's go out to eat. I mean, we're just, we're over it. Church, we've got to recapture that heart and take so seriously that we were sent here not to get gifts for ourselves, not to become full of ourselves, but to see God do incredible things like Ephesians 3.20 describes, where it says that God is able to do exceedingly more than you could ever dream up on your wildest dreams because of the power that is at work within you. Your neighbors need it. Your family members need it. Your coworkers need it. So I want to take some time, and I know we don't typically do this. And if it makes you totally uncomfortable, hey, you're welcome to go. And I love you. I'm so glad you're here today. But I want to open up this front area here. We call this the altar. Historically, it's a place where we just set aside within the church, and we say, "I'm going to come, and I want to just take a minute to pray." And I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. God, if you have a gift for me, I want it. And if you give me a gift, I'll use it for your glory. That's it. I'm not asking you to spend nine hours in prayer. I'm not asking you to be, I don't know, bathed in oil or something. Simple prayer. God, if you have a gift for me, I want it. And if you can use this gift for your glory, I'll do it. That's simple. So, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as we get ready to pray, and I want to invite you whenever you feel comfortable to just begin to come. But here's the reality, church God sent you. God sent you. Not your pastor, not your pastoral staff, not all the pastors of the world. God sent you. And He ordained that you would have a gift to bless the world. Lord, We need those gifts activated in our lives. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to speak to the hearts in this room. Speak to the hearts in this room, God. Lord, would you awaken a desperation inside of us? Awaken a desperation that is just not okay with a lost and dying world not knowing Jesus. A desperate church that is saying if whatever it takes if it makes me uncomfortable I want what the spirit of God wants for me if God has a gift for me I want it if God wants to use me in some way to bless the nations and to bless the world I want that if God wants to give me an ability that I don't fully understand but I want to use it for his glory I want that God would you just begin to raise up a hunger inside of our hearts that goes beyond anything we understand God, if we're trying to get this logically, it's going to miss us. Lord, we want to lean into your spirit today and invite you to have your way in us. God, I pray that all across this room, for those who are watching us online, God, would you raise a desperation in our hearts for lost souls. God, may it burden us to the point that we can't stop thinking about it that there are co-workers and neighbors and family members and friends who are not going to be in eternity with you if we don't become the church that you have called us to be. Lord, draw us to yourself and use us for your glory in Jesus' name. I wanna invite you to come find a spot in that simple prayer. God, if you have a gift for me, I want it. And if you give me a gift, I'll use it for your glory.